Well, I've got to kick off this series uh, wrestling club by letting you know that I have never been much of a wrestler. I know a big surprise to everyone watching online today, which I, get, I know it's a surprise. But my senior year in high school, um, during the winter sports season, a bunch of us were lifting in the gym at our local high school. And, at, and it, we started talking about wrestling. And this guy who was a really good wrestler, like state champion contender level, his name was Shane Miller. He was a smaller guy wrestling in what I believe was the 125 weight class, maybe the 119 weight class. He was bragging that he could beat anyone of any size if they had never wrestled before, that all the weight and strength advantage in the world would be no match because of his practice and his technical ability. So I'm in the conversation. And at this point, I had just finished senior season of high school football, playing offensive and defensive line, weighing around 215 and feeling pretty strong for a guy who hadn't won a game all season, whose team got mercy ruled seven out of nine games. And I said, prove it. I said, prove it. I had 90 pounds on the guy. I was in pretty good offensive lineman shape. And I thought my lineman technique would help me out because I knew one thing to be true about athleticism, that low man wins. And if I could get leverage, I could take this guy out. And so we got a whole bunch of us, we go find a wrestling mat, we pull one out, we get it all set up in a small crowd form to observe. And I was committed to giving this crowd a good show. And well, we gave him a good show, all right, for whole 12 seconds until Shane Miller had me pinned. Because here's the truth. People who know how to wrestle will always be better at wrestling than people who don't know how to wrestle, right? And like, well, you're like, we're like, whoa, what, what an amazing truth, right? It's a deep thought. But here's why it's so important to get as we begin this series, Wrestling Club. Over the course of a lifetime, life is going to throw quite a bit at every single one of us that will require us to wrestle. When life's experiences don't line up with what you expected, it causes us to wrestle. When you're not married by the time you thought you would be married, you're going to wrestle. When you got married or have, have a child and things aren't as easy or smooth as you thought it would be in marriage or parenting, it's going to make you wrestle with yourself and with those relationships. When you pray and pray and pray, and it seems like prayer that prayer doesn't get answered, you're going to wrestle with what you believe about God. Maybe you're a person of questions and deep thought, and you brought some questions and doubts and wondering to a religious leader or a small group leader or a pastor, and they told you you weren't supposed to ask questions like that. You were just supposed to believe. But you've always kind of wrestled with doubt and wrestled with the feeling that you weren't a good enough Christian because you couldn't just believe. Maybe when you face temptation in the same way over and over again, and you've asked and begged God to just take it away, and the temptation or struggle has never gone away, and you've wrestled with temptation and wrestled with frustration that God never took it away. Maybe you, maybe you like Jesus, but you've read what Jesus taught, and when you see the way Christians act, you can't, you can't put together and understand why the people claiming to follow Jesus don't seem to live the way Jesus told them to live. And so you wrestle with this tension of liking Jesus, but seeing the people who are supposed to be like Jesus be nothing like Jesus, and it causes you to wrestle. Maybe you've experienced a deep loss and you wrestle with the pain associated with that loss or the pain of the future that you dreamed uh, that, uh, of, of, of now, now being gone. And I, I could go on and on and on about the things that you're going to wrestle with. I chose those to mention because I'm pretty sure that at some point along the way of life, every one of us is going to deal with every single one of those. And 
Well, there's an aspect of these that's unavoidable, like, like rough stuff is going to happen in life. There's going to be pain. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be frustration. That stuff is going to happen. Difficult. There's going to be loss. There's going to be frustrating situations. There's going to be moments where our expectation of God and our actual experience of God seems to be kind of different. Like what can make this so dangerous is that there's actually an enemy of God and an enemy of your soul. This is something we've talked about a number of times this year, that there's an enemy of God and there's an enemy of your soul. And he can and will leverage these difficult wrestling moments of your life to convince you that God isn't faithful, that doubts are all that exists, that God can't be trusted, and that faith and that church are a waste of time, that belief is a waste of time, that there is no God, that there's nothing to believe in, that there, there, there isn't even a God to be faithful, that, that, there's, that, that everything that you thought and believed was actually just a waste of time. And so you're not just wrestling against the events themselves and the doubts themselves and the frustrations themselves. You're wrestling against an enemy who wants to use those events to drive a wedge between you and your heavenly Father. And here's the thing. This is why it's so important for us to talk about this these, these few weeks and why that opening story is so important. If you don't know how to wrestle, or if you're unwilling to wrestle, or if you just don't want to wrestle, when life throws those haymakers your way, you'll simply get knocked off your feet, knocked off the mat, and maybe even knocked out entirely. And when I say knocked out, what I mean is if you're not willing to or able to wrestle, your faith can take a hit that you may never come back from. If you can't or won't fight, you may eventually lose your faith or your belief in God entirely. And I don't want that for you like I don't want that for me. Like I know you don't want that for you. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how to wrestle with some of the things that do their best to take us out and knock out our faith. And here's the simple truth that we, that we mentioned from the very beginning. People who know how to wrestle will always be better at wrestling than people who have never learned how to wrestle. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how to wrestle so that we make sure we know how to wrestle with the things that try to take us out and try to knock us out and try to knock us off the mat and try to knock out our faith and our connection with God. And today I want to introduce you to a simple truth learned from the most famous wrestler in the entirety of scripture. His name was Jacob, but he was about to get a new name in the story that we're about to look at today. To give you a little background on Jacob, Jacob was a tricky fellow. He, he was known for wrestling even within the womb with his twin brother. Then, while he was being born, he and his brother fought over who would come out first. Like one arm came out, Jacob's arm came out, and then he got pulled back in, and then the other baby came out first. Then he tricked his older brother into giving him the blessing of the firstborn son for a bowl of stew. Then he tricked his dad on his deathbed into giving him the blessing and inheritance of the firstborn son. And after all of this, he had obtained the blessing and inheritance of the firstborn son, even though he was not the firstborn son, but he had also earned the hatred of his slightly older brother, Esau. And as he heard that his brother was planning to kill him, he ran fast and far away. He ran to some distant relatives and lived there far away from his family homeland for the 20 years working for his uncle. In that time, he married two women, ironically, in an ironic twist. He was tricked into marrying one of these two women by his uncle. Build, he built and gained large herds and flocks and wealth, and he became a large family, eventually 12 sons on top of a few daughters. And then he became too large and powerful and was driven away with his only option being to return home where he would have to face Esau. It's one of those like worst fear moments, right? Like 20 years on the run only to have to return and face this unresolved issue and all the unknowns that came with it. On top of this, you have this sense that all throughout Jacob's life, 
God has been speaking to Jacob and trying to get his attention. And Jacob has heard his voice and has an idea that God has a purpose and a plan for him. And then he has decided to live like an absolute hooligan. Like he has lived as if life is all about Jacob and lived building up Jacob and Jacob is all that matters. And it's into that context that we get this story the night before Jacob is about to face his brother Esau for the first time in 20 years. Here's what happened. Genesis chapter 32, starting in verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants or his concubines, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. Okay, Jacob makes a plan that if Esau comes for him, his family will be safe and separate from him. Interestingly, he also sends his possessions so that if he is taken, his possessions don't go into the hands of Esau. Then we get one of the most fascinating episodes in Bible history. Jacob waits by the river. Jacob, Jacob waits near the river while his family is far away. And it says this in verse 24. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, just so we understand what's happening here up front, we're not going to do a big reveal like Jacob had to figure out along the way. What's happening here is Jacob is not wrestling with a man. Jacob is wrestling with a man that he would come to realize was actually God come to wrestle with Jacob. Jacob is wrestling with God. Jacob would realize that he had a physical encounter, a wrestling match with the God who has a plan and purpose for his life and his family. Now, it says that a man came to wrestle with Jacob. We don't know how this started. We don't know if like God walked up and like slapped him in the face and said, we're going to wrestle. We don't know if like if, if God brought wrestling mats and unitards and mats. Like we don't, we don't know exactly how this began, but somehow there began a wrestling match between Jacob and the God of Jacob. And we're told this in verse 25. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, which I think is like one of those like wink, yeah, God couldn't overpower. When the, when the man saw that he would not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. So even with a dislocated hip, this is so interesting. Even with a dislocated hip, Jacob is not letting go. He has to, God has to look at the, the man who Jacob would realize later was God had to look at his face like after dislocating his hip and say, let me go. It's daybreak, like it's about to be daybreak and you're gonna see God in, like you've, we've been in darkness and you've not realized who you're wrestling, but it's about to be daylight. And if you see me face to face, you're gonna die. You need to let me go. You're holding on so tight. You're wrestling with like, you're broken. Your hip is dislocated and you're still not letting go. And, but Jacob replied, the second half, verse 26, Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, I'm going to finish reading the story here, but that line right there is the key to learning to wrestle well. That line, I will not let you go unless you bless me. While he doesn't even know at this moment that he's wrestling with God, he was gonna wrestle until he found the blessing. Let's read the rest of the story and then we'll come back to why that's such, such a key. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. 
Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. God changes his name and in doing so, gives him a fresh start and a blank slate and a renewed purpose. But also, I mean, it's funny to think about, like this moment happened in isolation, okay? Like the next time his family saw him, he had to do that thing like Andy from the office when he tried to start fresh as Drew after coming back from anger management, right? His, like, like Jacob's wife is gonna be like, oh, Jacob, it's so good to see you. And he's like, um, actually, it's, I mean, I'm Israel now. He sees Esau for the first time in 20 years and Esau goes, well, Jacob, you old so-and-so. And the first thing Jacob has to do is be like, actually, that's not my name anymore. It's Israel now. I hate to correct you the very first time you see me, but my name is not what you think it is, okay? This is how the mind of a preacher works, by the way. Anyway, so Jacob said, please tell me your name. But the man replied, why do you ask my name? And the inference being, he already knew exactly who he had been wrestling with. Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Now, I told you earlier that there's a line in there that's key to learning how to wrestle well with faith and with the events and the things of life that try to knock us out and knock out our faith and knock us away from God. It's that simple line where Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Matter of fact, would you say that with me on the count of three? Ready? One, two, three. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, I don't know that Jacob was thinking on this level as he uttered those words 3,700 years ago, but there's an example that was set for people of faith that when we struggle and wrestle and it gets tough and it gets difficult, when it gets difficult, we don't disengage until we've reached the blessing that is found at the end of the struggle. We stay engaged in the fight until the fight leads to something better and stronger and deeper and a deeper understanding of God and a stronger sense of his presence and a stronger awareness of who he is in our lives and how he will be faithful and who he will be in our lives. That we wrestle and we wrestle and we wrestle and we wrestle until we actually ex experience the benefit that comes at the end of the wrestling and we don't disengage and we don't move away and we don't let go and we don't back off until we get there. See, here's the bottom line today. Whatever you're wrestling with, there's two things that we need to remember as we wrestle. Whatever you're wrestling with, keep wrestling until you find the blessing. You keep wrestling until you find the blessing. This is really the challenge of wrestling in life and faith, isn't it? That our natural reaction when things get hard is to tap out. And it is so easy to tap out. It's easy to bail and assume that good is somewhere other than the fight because the fight is hard. The fight is difficult. The fight doesn't feel like it's worth anything and it's gonna accomplish anything. We feel like good is somewhere other than the fight, but the reality of life and faith, and many of you have experienced this and know it to be true, and some of you are, you are in the middle of a fight and you're gonna discover this. If you'll stay engaged in the fight and you'll continue to wrestle through the pain and through the difficulty and through the doubt and through the loss and through the questions and through the rough experiences and through the rough, poor treatment from people who don't understand what's going on, 
on. I'm telling you, there is good and there is blessing, blessing and there is deeper faith and there is deeper understanding and there is a deeper awareness of the strength of God and deeper awareness of the faithfulness of God that waits on the other end of your struggle. And I promise you, there is good and strength on the other side of the struggle. There is a deeper faith on the other side of your questions. There is a deeper love for the church on the other side of our struggles to connect beyond disagreements. There is a deeper realization of the strength that God has given you on the other side of your fight. And you will find that if you stay engaged, if you don't back out, if you don't bail out, if you don't tap out, if you say, hey, I hate this struggle. I hate that I have to wrestle with this. I don't like that I'm wrestling with this. But while I don't like it, or while I hate it, and while I'd rather be doing anything else, I realize that there's a blessing on the other side of this, and I'm going to keep wrestling until I find that blessing. I'm going to stick in the fight. I'm going to stay in the fight. I'm going to keep going. As painful as it is, as much as it feels like loss after loss after loss, I'm going to keep going until I find the gain that God has for me on the other side of this wrestling match. So I'm going to keep pushing through doubt and I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep wrestling with my, with my faith. I'm going to keep wrestling with my questions. I'm going to keep wrestling with the fact that my experience doesn't line up with my expectations. I'm going to keep wrestling with that until I find that whatever God has for me on the other side, because I know whatever God has for me on the other side is a blessing for me and for my life and my connection with God. That's the first thing that you need to make sure that you learn from Jacob is that you keep wrestling until you experience and receive the blessing. And the second thing that we need to make sure that we understand this, this may actually even be harder than, and, and work more against our natural inclination than, than the first one. But the, but the second thing is simply this, we got to wrestle with God, not away from God. Let me say it again. We got to wrestle with God, not away from God. God. See, there's this tendency we all have to reevaluate God every time we struggle. Every time there's a difficult experience, every time there's a difficult moment, we have this tendency to kind of push back so that we can reevaluate God. It's human nature. And what we do is we, we pull away from God so that we can evaluate him from afar instead of leaning into him and looking back to assess and evaluate our struggle. Does that make sense? This is what we do. We push back from God so we can evaluate God rather than leaning into God away from our struggles so that we can turn around and accurately with God evaluate our struggles. We pull away when we should pull close. And sometimes we end up pushing away the very source of help and strength. Instead, what would it look like for you to wrestle with God at your side? Instead, let's like instead let's lean in and pull close to wrestle with God beside us, overcoming whatever it is that we face together. And when we do that, when we wrestle with God, when we wrestle with, without pushing away from God, when we wrestle holding on to God, linking arms with God, what we do is we find that we experience more of God's goodness and strength in our moments of struggle than we ever do of him from a distance or that we ever do in the moment in the in the best moments of our life. We find God in the that God is ever present in the night just as he is ever present in the day. We find that he is ever present in the storms just as he is ever present in the sunshine. And the fact that he is ever present with us in 
in the storms means more that he is with, than, that, than that he is with us in the sunshine. We see more of his character, more of his goodness, more of his mercy, more of his compassion when we wrestle with him rather than push away from him. And so let's apply this because you're going like, well, what does this look like? Let's apply this to something that we often wrestle with. I'm just going to name it. We often wrestle with doubt. Something that I mentioned earlier that doubt is one of those things that if we're not careful, if we don't know how to wrestle, doubt can knock us out. Like it can knock us off the mat, can knock us off our feet, can knock us away from faith entirely. But but if it, doubt is that it's, it's just kind of that universal experience of wondering whether what we've been taught and what we've believed about God is actually true. Anybody, do, do you know what I'm talking about? Like that it, it, it's those moments where we go like, I, I know what I've t- been taught. I know what I've been led to believe. Is it actually true? And there's one type of doubts where we go, you know, did a worldwide flood really happen? What about the dinosaurs? Questions like, you know, you know all, all the questions like that. I, like, I don't even know if doubt is actually the right word for those types of questions because I don't know that on this side of eternity, I don't know that we'll actually have an answer to those questions. Um, but, but, you know, like we'll, we'll lump those in. But then there's a much deeper and far more personal experience of doubt where our questions become, is God really faithful? Is God really trustworthy? Does God really hear us when we pray? Does God really stay true to his promises to be with us? Does God really heal people? I mean, when you're praying for healing and the person that you're praying for doesn't get healed, you go, like, does God actually heal people? Does God really set people free? You've been, you've been following Jesus for five years, but you've, been, but you've been addicted to something for as long as you've been following Jesus or longer than you've been following Jesus, and you haven't experienced the freedom that people promised you. You go, does God really set people free? Because I haven't been set free. Is God really loving? Because when I look around the world, I see a lot of people who claim to love Jesus who don't seem very loving. And I got to be honest, in the moments of my life where I, where I feel like I need God's love the most, sometimes I feel like God's love is the furthest thing from me. So like, is God really loving? See, doubt rises when our experience doesn't match our expectation. Doubt rises within us when our experience doesn't match our expectation. When we've been told that God is a God who heals and we pray for someone and they don't get healed. When, we, when we've been told that God is a God who sets people free and then we don't see ourselves set free or we don't see our loved ones set free when they, when they begin to experience Jesus. Like, we've been told that God is a God who is faithful and then we don't feel like we experience his faithfulness. We've been told that God is a God who is present and then we don't feel like we experience his presence. Doubt rises when our experience doesn't match our expectation where we expect God to be one thing or what we, when we expect God to, what, a certain aspect of God's character to mean one thing and then what we experience is very different from what we expect of God. And I want to talk about this a little bit. This is something that's incredibly profound and important. It's like, it's a, it's a simple exchange of words, but man, this can make the difference in how we understand and how we process doubt. Most of what we call doubt could actually more accurately be called disillusionment. And let me tell you where I figured that out. I figured that out over the course of a lifetime where I had some doubts that were lingering. You're like, whoa, 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 pastors are allowed to have doubts? Pastors always have doubts. If you ever meet a pastor who says they don't have doubts, you probably have met a lying pastor. I just want to let you know that. Pastors have doubts just like every other person has doubts. 
what, what we tend to be really good at is we push through, as I'm talking about today, wrestling with those doubts until we reach the other side and experience and figure out what, what's, what's on the other side. And as I, as I you know, wrestled with some doubts that I had, what I came to realize and what I came to read about, what I came to uh, see from the perspective of some other people was that what I was calling doubt was actually disillusionment. And what disillusionment is different than doubt, doubt is questioning the validity of something. Disillusionment is the unsettling breaking of our illusions about God. See, we, we all have some illusions about God, right? And sometimes our illusions are we believe something about God that is never claimed in Scripture, Sometimes our illusions are we were taught something about God. Like maybe you were taught, you know, you grew up around the prosperity gospel and you were taught if you give God 10, he'll give you 100. You give God 100, he'll give you 1,000. You give God 1,000, he'll give you 10,000. And you gave God 1,000 and you didn't get 10,000 back. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, why didn't I get my 10,000 back? You had an illusion, something that you were taught that was never true. Like sometimes that happens. And then sometimes what happens is where we know what was true about God and then we take what is true and we add or tweak it a little bit. Alicia Britt Cole in her powerful book, The Night is Normal, wrote this about how we find ourselves disillusioned. She said this, the problem is that we have a tendency to add on to truth by filling in the blank after what we know in part. What we assume from what we know rather than we, what we actually know sets us up for the loss of a lot of illusions, especially when we confer upon our added-on assumption the spiritual weight of truth. She said, such reasoning gives more power to the add-on than to the truth. We wind up keeping the illusion, I know how a loving God should behave, and dismissing the reality, God is love. Isn't that a powerful quote? We give more power to the, more weight to the add-on than to the actual reality. And when, the, when, when our add-on, the illusion, when our add-on is not met by the reality, we, we ignore, we turn down reality in hopes that the illusion will become real, that our add-on will become real rather than dismissing the add-on in hopes of pursuing and finding the reality of God. And so what do we do instead of that? What do we do instead when, when, when we have some illusions, when we have some illusions, some things that we've believed, that we've been taught, some things that we have embraced as if they were true, but, but our life's experiences and our experience with God would reveal to us that what we've believed is not true and would lead us to, be, to doubt or what we would call disillusion. What do we do instead of tapping out? What do we do instead of, instead of dropping God, instead of walking away from God, instead of dropping the reality to hold on to our add-on? What do we do instead? We keep wrestling until we find the blessing and we wrestle with God, not away from God. Okay, so here's what this looks like. Well, I'm frustrated. Well, why am I frustrated? Because God didn't come through the way I thought he would. Okay, when God doesn't come through the way I think he would, is that a God problem or my expectation issue? And so like, does this make sense? Like, like for some of us, as you just heard that question, you're like, whoa, that is a way of thinking that I don't, I, I, I'm not sure I want to really embrace. I understand. It, it's a painful way of thinking because it means that I've made the mistake in believing something about God that God never promised to be true about himself. I added on and I put a lot of weight on the add-on when I should have been putting the weight of my life on the reality of who God is. And so instead of going like, well, maybe you know, God's the problem, goes like, well, maybe my expectation 
was in something that was not ever based in reality. And so what I do is I keep bringing my frustrations and anger back to the actual word of God and actual promises of God to wrestle and dig down to the truth of who he is and what he's promised to do and what he's promised to be. And I keep going until I find the blessing of knowing who God is and what he has promised to do. And we keep wrestling in question all the while leaning into God's very real presence and closeness, even if we don't feel it, knowing that God has promised that he is close. And so if I don't feel like he's close, the problem is in my feelings And I move past my feelings to acknowledge the reality that God is close until we realize the reality of who he is to us. We keep wrestling in question, leaning into God and who he is, his presence, his proximity, his closeness to us until we realize the reality of who he is and who he wants to be to us. We don't let our doubt take us out. We allow our disillusionment to push us ever closer to the reality of who God is. One more quote from Alicia Brickhole. Again, this book is, I would recommend this book highly, highly to anyone. Finding God is the treasure of disillusionment. See, this is where there's a blessing on the other side of our wrestling if we'll keep going. See, either, either, either disillusionment is going to knock us out if we stop wrestling, if we disengage from God, if we pull away from God, if we bail out of the match, if we, if we stop wrestling, disillusionment takes us away from God. Doubt takes us away from God. But she says there's a gift in illusionment. There's a treasure of disillusionment. She says finding God is the treasure of disillusionment. There, buried in the night, is a purified relationship with him. a purified relationship with him that can offer satisfaction to the cynic, solid ground to the skeptic, and life-giving hope to those growing in despair. She says, however painful the loss of illusions may be, reality is a friend of intimacy with God. So here's the challenge today. When it comes to doubt, when it comes to loss, when it comes to frustration when it comes to the painful experience of our life, when it comes to marriage not being what you thought it would be or parenting not being the way that you thought it would be. You thought it was all going to be snuggles and, and happy time and it's been a lot of yelling. Like I, I mean, I don't know what your experience has been. Maybe you've struggled with doubt or you've struggled with church, that maybe you've had some, some abuse take place within the church where people in the church treated you in a way that, 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 should, that you should never be treated, that no one should be treated within the church. I don't know what your experiences is, are that causes you to wrestle, but here's the, here's the challenge today. The challenge is simply this, that if you'll keep wrestling, that's the win right there. What she just described, that's the win. That we actually get to know God in reality. And reality is a friend of intimacy with God. That doubt doesn't have to take you out. And grief doesn't have to take you out. And disappointment doesn't have to take you out. And your, and your life not matching up to the expectations that you had doesn't have to take you out. And God not showing up the way that you expected and believed that he should have shown up doesn't have to take you away from God. Your doubt doesn't have to take you out. But doubt can lead to an ever more real relationship with God based on the reality of who he is. So let's keep wrestling until we experience and receive the blessing. And let's wrestle with God and not wrestle away from God. Because when we do, we get to know God. 
And we get to see God in a way that we have never known or experienced him before. And that's the blessing that happens when you'll keep wrestling. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your character. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for everything that you are and everything that you claim to be and that you claim you will do in your word. Thank you for every promise we have of, of, of what you will do and every promise we have of who you will be. God, I pray that as, as we begin this series talking about the idea of wrestling spiritually, I pray that we would have the wisdom and the courage to keep wrestling until we see and receive and experience the blessing that you have for us on the other side of whatever it is that we're wrestling with. God, whether that we're wrestling with loss and grief or wrestling with doubt and despair or wrestling with disillusionment or disappointment or whatever it is that we may be wrestling with, God, I pray that we would have the wisdom to bring that wrestling to you and that we would wrestle with you and never push away from you but that we would choose to continually wrestle with you and stay close instead of pushing away. And that, God, we would have the wisdom and the courage to keep wrestling until we experience and receive the blessing that you have for us on the other side of whatever it is that we're wrestling with. So, God, help us to keep wrestling. Help us to stay engaged in the fight. Help us to stay aware of, of the enemy's tactics to push us off the mat. And help us just to keep our eyes locked and fixed on you and keep ourselves close to you so that we can experience what you have for us in the midst of and on the other side of whatever it is that we're wrestling with. God, we love you and we thank you that you have good and you are good in the midst of the fight and on the other side of the fight. So God, help us to pursue you and seek you and find you. We love you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.